Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Real World Negotiating Podcast with Gareth and David. Today we're going to be talking about the difference between sales and negotiation, that particular bugbear. And Gareth tells me he's an amazing salesman. So I'm going to throw this one over to Gareth and say, you know, what, what is the difference between sales and negotiation? So I think um, you can look at both under the broad heading of persuasion. And usually negotiation is something that we need to do when during that process we've tried being persuasive, we've tried the other tools of persuasion. And we can talk a little bit about what they are and particularly what salespeople get taught to do. And essentially negotiation tends to be what happens when those things haven't worked. Um, and you know you can't have a hundred percent of what you want. I cannot have perhaps as a salesperson one hundred percent of what I want. And then negotiation is a very different toolkit to the other things that salespeople use that we use to hopefully get a deal. And that's where I think the line is. Essentially, it's and this sounds harsh, but it's where persuasion has not worked. Are salespeople good negotiators? And before you jump in there, I'm going to just. Just caveat that slightly. Salespeople think they're good negotiators, um, but are they? Often not. And I think, David, you know, you and I have both built successful businesses of that being the case, let's be honest. Um, so if we think about, and we're going to fall into the trap of generalising during this conversation, but, but, mm. but that's fine. Um, if I think back to my time selling and my time running sales organisations, um, and I think about what makes a good salesperson and what motivates salespeople, I think it is a fair generalisation to say that more so than other professions, salespeople are motivated by a desire to please others and to a slightly lesser extent a fear of failure. And there's nothing wrong with that. And actually, if you look at a lot of the personality typing that organisations do, where they tell you you're a colour or a bunch of letters or whatever, whenever you go to the sales force, you're going to see, you know, those personality types very, very much come to the fore. Now, what does that mean when this person who wants to please others and is worried about failing and failing in this case being the customer maybe not liking them saying no not closing the deal losing a big account what does that mean um it means that when actually we hit a point where persuasion has failed and it's worth us exploring that as well when that happens when they hear no all of a sudden there is a problem where actually I've tried matching features to benefits, proposing amazing solutions, um, and you are saying no to that, you are rejecting me, um, and then we have a nervousness. And at that point, you have people with that personality type are going to struggle. They mm. struggle more so with conflict um, than other people. So actually the things that made you an amazing salesperson might mean that you have to work harder to be a good negotiator. So training's important. And I, I've certainly found in my experience the the people pleaser types don't make very good negotiators because, as you say, um, that fear of failure, and certainly in in my industry, what how that manifests itself is giving far too much away. Mm. Not what, by not wanting to upset the other person, they'll go here, have some more, and the other person goes no, here, have some more. It's that I don't want them to say no. <laughs> Because that reflects badly on, on me. So you end up giving you know, way too much away. 
Um, actually, David, I used to do that personally. So um, I, I went very early in my career on a bit of a journey um, with negotiations. So if I think about my first couple of years out of university, uh, where I got taught all kinds of great persuasive sales techniques and for about two years I had a great time selling things where essentially I was tapping into my inner people pleaser um, you know doing a very good job of putting myself into my customers headspace asking them good questions getting a sense of their needs their values the problems they were trying to solve and couching the, the solutions that I was offering in those terms all the stuff we, we tell salespeople to do and then you succeed and it feels really really good now, I remember the first conversations I was had to have in roles where people were saying no to me or we had an established contract and it wasn't all good and they were threatening my business. I remember going into those those meetings and, you know, um, my hands would shake. Uh, I might not sleep terribly well mm. um, the night before and all of that stuff. And often I wouldn't perform very well. And I do all the things that you're talking about, you know, give things away because it was getting uncomfortable and I, I was worried about losing the business um, and the reason for that um, was that actually nobody had ever taken me to one side and said here's how you negotiate you know mm -hmm. kind of here's you know here's what you you know here's what you do and it's actually it's a different skill set to the, the tools that have been working for you already and actually it's about I always tell people it's about embracing that fear because if you don't don't be scared of it don't think well if i'm feeling really shaky i've got to get rid of that feeling by giving stuff away it's good to feel uncertain because if you're not feeling uncertain about whether the other side from a negotiation perspective is going to take the deal or not you give them too much i always say it's really easy to 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 agree a deal you just give the other side everything that they want and you as you say you feel oh that was easy i've got a negotiation it's all done and dusted and then you think oh i could have got a bit <laughs> bit get bit more out of that and and sometimes the really easy ones are the ones where you think oh i should have i should have worked a bit harder for that absolutely spot on and what i used to see when i was coaching salespeople and what, what i see with with clients now when you see people give stuff away as you as you've described and then afterwards you ask them well why did you do that you know what did you get back in return um all of that kind of thing the answer that often comes back is oh goodwill or i was i was mm. smoothing the path or that kind of thing and the cold hard reality is we've given something away for free that was valuable and that we we didn't need to give yeah. give away but i think interestingly um what's the incentive for the salesperson not to do that you you've talked about me to me off mic in the past about clients you know you've worked with and actually how salespeople are measured mm. um actually contributes to this over the longer term right yeah and uh just before we get on to that, I just wanted to, I just, this thing flashed into my mind when I was at the BBC, we used to spend lots of, lots of time, and this is the same with any kind of procurement, working out the absolute value of something. And it's like, this is as far as we're going to go. And you made me laugh a bit there when you just call it, what did you call it? The extra bit that you give away? Goodwill. 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 Um, we used to call it strategic premium. <laughs> <laughs> strategic premium. I like that. Which basically meant... We can't really justify this, but we really want the deal. 
<laughs> Strategic premium. I sure. I'm, I'm going to nick that. I like it. So like if, it. if say at the BBC, it was oh, if if we don't get this, we're going to get some really bad headlines. So it's worth paying a bit more to avoid that from happening. Um, and again, you know, you, you talk about incentives. So just just coming back to that, is there any incentive to get a better deal? In many cases, if you've got your boss breathing down your neck and. I'm sure you've had this, but I've had many negotiations where the boss has gone, you've got to get this deal under any circumstances. And it's like, oh, okay, well, there goes there goes my leverage there. Um, there's no incentive to get a better deal because you think, well, my boss is probably going to fire me if I don't get this. Um, he's told me I can pay up to X. And then he said, well, a bit of strategic premium on top of that. Um, why would I try and push for a lower price unless uh, I'm incentivized to do that? And I think particularly in buying organisations, in selling organisations, they tend to be a bit more um, incentive driven, commission, etc. But when you're buying something, how often does an organisation say, I tell you what, if you can get this for less than X, we'll give you 10 percent? Very, very rare unless you're working with a consultant um, procurement um, officer I found it's interesting you talk about incentives in selling versus procurement organisations so you're right Salespeople do typically work on incentives but and here's the interesting thing most of the time if I think of most of the clients I work with most of the, the corporate roles that I held the salesperson and even the sales manager and the sales director are often bonused on a revenue target, on a revenue target. So how super important and impactful is that? So if we talk about you know near the end of a deal cycle or to sort out a contractual dispute, the incentive on the salesperson to just cut price as a way of you know as you say you know you can always do a deal if you just you know drop your trousers enough. Um, huge incentives to do that, and actually you know kind of a lot of. Um, a lot of my corporate career and my client work now is often spent unpicking the legacy of years and years and years of doing that. Because if you have folks with director in their job title who are getting mm. bonused on revenue, then, you know, and no one's looking closely enough at the profitability of the deal, the stuff that has been given away for free, things like, you know, service, deliveries, you know, complexity that, you know, the salesperson isn't asked to consider. Mm-hmm. And then at some point down the line, somebody crunches the numbers and says, actually, it's not all good. You know, our business is failing here. These contracts are dragging us down. And you've got to have those difficult conversations. And it's almost like the emperor's new clothes, you know, kind of, he's not mm-hmm. wearing any. This sucks. We're losing money. And actually, we've created an environment where, you know, the people who have closed these deals don't have the skill set or even the motivation to deal with that. And we're living we're living in a revenue driven world as well. So if you look at all these new media tech startup type companies where yeah, they don't make any money, but they're generating revenue and they're valued at many multiples of their revenue. And I had this you know, when I was working corporate finance back in the original dot-com bubble that that burst um people aren't looking at whether the business is profitable or not they're just looking at well how much revenue i'm bringing in you see that in in sports right some of the agencies that have been set up uh, with a long-term view of being floated on the stock market or sold so it's we've got to get our revenue up we've got to get our revenue up because the valuation is based around the revenue 
but they're not making any money. And ultimately, as you kind of suggested, your chickens come home to roost because you don't you don't make any money on revenue. You make money on profit. Um, and if you're selling something for the sake of it and it's not making to, to, to get back to what we're talking about, to people, please, if you're selling something to people, please, it doesn't make any money. At some point, you have to think there's actually no point selling this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that, David. But if you are that salesperson, you hit your quota and you get your bonus at the end of the year, mm. you're not thinking that way. Yeah. You know, you in a way, there are certain industries. You know, I do a lot of work in life sciences, and I'll I'll call that industry out. You know, there are very commonly the way that bonus schemes are set up in those those industries. They don't encourage not just the the, the, the individual salesperson, but their manager or their second line manager. The revenue focus doesn't encourage particularly mm. strategic thinking. It's all about well, what top line deal can I kick over the line, and yeah, kind of what happens then is that you know, kind of those deals are constructed, and you end up giving a ton of stuff away for free. And so when I go in with clients and I work with multiple functions, I often end up having conversations, yeah, with people who are quite disgruntled in operational non-sales roles who are saying, well, actually, you know, off my budget, there's a whole kind of hidden pile of costs that are, that are racking up on this contract. And if you do the analysis and look over the top of all of it, you realise that you know, kind of the revenue focus has created a disincentive to negotiate and you know actually is it is costing um it's costing the business money which mm. which isn't good and you also have um short-term incentives on potentially long-term business so an example of that is yeah many years ago when i was a well i was a lowly auditor in an accountancy firm i used to audit life insurance companies and the salespeople were effectively selling well <laughs> a product for the rest of the person's life uh, but their incentives were based on the uh, the sale up front uh, so obviously if the, if the customer walked away from the deal down the line some of that money went back the, the, the company had to refund or, or that that income wasn't guaranteed for 30 40 years but the incentives were set up to effectively reward the salesperson for doing that deal up front and what happens is salespeople go and they have no incentive to sell the right product and of course we had all these mis-selling scandals off the back of it i think life insurance was possibly the first one um all these all these mis-selling scandals because they they are selling the revenue in effect which gives them their commission and by the time the chickens come home to roost that salesperson's working somewhere else so the company's not going to claw it back off them because they're they're gone down the road so what, one of the questions around incentives, as well as profitability, is how do you stagger that incentive across the lifetime of the deal rather than just chucking it up front? Yeah, um, I mean, sales incentives is an absolutely huge topic, um, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I remember I, I, had, um, uh, I, I had a manager earlier in my career um, who said something in fun but he meant it and that thing was let's not let's not worry too much about the consequences of getting the deal let's get the deal and then we'll worry about the consequences of getting the deal mm. uh, which actually you know kind of is you know again it, in some ways it's good sales thinking it's about getting the target getting the deal over the line being very very focused um, but I think that that's you know kind of that is quite typical and again it's almost like we it's symptomatic for me of a de-skilled, dumbed-down sales force where 
you know, we don't think about profitability and actually we don't think about the need for negotiation, you know, kind of within the skill set. And, you know, when you see how sales forces are trained, you know, typically negotiation is, you know, I'll, I'll, as my tee up to a lot of programs that, um, that I'll do, I'll have conversations with the people who are turning up on them and I'll ask them, you know, kind of, has anyone ever taught you to negotiate? And um, the, the initial answer is yes. They'll say yes, because I think negotiation and selling are the same things. But then when we drill down into it, this, the, the formal training they've had previously has been, you know, kind of negotiation has been maybe a one hour module, um, you know, kind of at some point in their lives. It's been an afterthought. It's, you know, it's what happens when, you know, persuasion hasn't, you know, hasn't worked. And then there's been real life experience, but the real life in the field learning has been essentially on going to your boss and asking for permission to give things away. Mm. Or even even worse, my my wife used to be a, an SAP consultant, oh. who and her job was implementing systems. And the thing that she hated most was you'd go into a client, and they'd been sold this system, um, which they couldn't actually deliver. <laughs> so the client would go, "Can you do this, this, or this for me?" And the salesperson would go, "Yes." <laughs> when they couldn't um so they actually ended up having to build you know rewrite the software etc to try and deliver what the salesperson who didn't i didn't understand the system or didn't care because as long as they got the sale it's like well it's not my problem anymore it's a bit like your boss it's somebody else's problem to actually deliver what i've promised them yeah and you make an interesting point there because there's two types of selling roles that some companies knock together um, rightly or wrongly um, and you have a selling role that's to do with let's say business development the getting of the business and there'll be some negotiations sometimes let's say at the back end of that process but then you have the well, yeah, what you're getting to and the experience your wife, have, what your wife had um, account management so you know I've got some big customers how do I sell them more stuff make sure they stay with us um, it's two quite different skill sets and actually an awful lot of the requirement for negotiation training and negotiation in the role actually I think it's more so in that account management role but often because if you have this team of you know they'll often get called hunter salespeople or there's a, there's a methodology now a few people using called challenger which you know is, is quite flawed in a lot of ways but it has this idea that you have the person who gets the business and then they hand it over um, and that creates problems exactly like your wife experienced. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? You've got the you've got the two the two parts of uh, perhaps the sales negotiation process. You've got closing the sale, um, which can be done without any reference to the people who actually have to deliver on the contract, and then you've got that management of what potentially is quite a long term contract. It could be five, ten, fifteen years. Um, do you think there's there's different skills involved in those two processes? Yeah, yeah, completely. There are different skills, and I think for all of this, David, and I'm going to sort of speak, I suppose, in defence of sales organisations and the status quo. There is no one best way. You you, you are you are talking about a um, a Douglas model of compromise. However, you set up and train your sales organisation, and then the organisation that implements and you know lives you know, with the contracts afterwards. So, you know, for all that we've we've highlighted the problems 
of you know salespeople being bonused on revenue and you know closing sometimes unprofitable deals and not you know not having an incentive to, to negotiate properly um you know actually what you don't want to do for all of that is take away the spark and excitement of people pleasing salespeople going out there kicking some ass and closing some deals because if you can do that and have those deals be profitable you don't want to take away that spark and excitement and yes it's answering your question that sort of person probably does have a different skill set to the person who's going to go into the same customer who's been going buying the same thing for a long time and and upselling them and make sure everything's good and making sure the next time they come to tender in five years that they you know they buy again and set the tender up you know the, the such that you know my solution is going to be the one that gets taken so you know i think there is no one best way of doing it but for sure we don't generally teach salespeople to negotiate terribly well and it does it does as we've discussed it does create problems um so for example you can sometimes do too good a deal in that you particularly uh on the procurement side where you you screw the price down so far that it's great to win the deal a a company wins the deal but they can't actually deliver profitably on that contract Uh, and i've actually done some work with with councils where they were concerned they were doing too good a deal and how do they look beneath just the pure you know cost numbers or revenue numbers and again, look at the profitability from the other side circumstance on the basis that if we do this too well, the whole deal's going to collapse and then we're left, we're back to square one. And the worst thing you can do, particularly if you've only got two or three bidders, is if if you go with one bidder and it falls over and they go bust and you have to then go back to the other bidder and say, oh, I'm sorry, um, we did, didn't like you and we thought you bid too much, but actually you were kind of right. <laughs> um, can we can we bring you back in? I think there's a very good chance they'll go, well, you know where my last price was? It's now kind of considerably higher. <laughs> um, so I think I think there there is there's that importance of reviewing the deal before you actually close it up front to make sure that you've you've done it well. But there's also then reviewing the contract as it goes particularly in longer term contracts because what you start with is not well actually as a general rule i'd say whatever the the status quo is when you start a long-term contract you can guarantee within two or three years the world is completely different yeah i mean every market's different but i was just having a chuckle to myself that you were talking about councils so look i i say this with the ease of someone who doesn't particularly target councils as a um, a desirable customer for my business and the reason I don't do that is that you know I you know kind of look you know sometimes at public tenders when they come out and you talk about councils doing too good a deal and you know you see the spec of what they're asking for and you know the, perhaps the type of thing that, that, that you or I might provide or you know training more broadly and then you, you look at their estimated spend and you know I do I do sometimes think like who on earth is bidding on this you know and you do think well you know that there will be an ecosystem of folks out there you know i think yeah particularly smes who will who will bid on contracts because they want to have the work coming in and then you know realization perhaps does dawn where you have if you like seller's remorse 
and you realise that it's not all good. So I, I think that this is something, you know, this issue of, you know, procurement screwing down prices and then, you know, the perhaps slightly desperate salesperson, whether that's, you know, someone in an SME or just somebody who's bonused incorrectly in a large sales force, you know, that is that is going to happen over and over and over. And I, th- I think there is some, there are some examples, aren't there, of, you know, kind of contracts that have, that have fallen over. I'm thinking here, David, um, within FMCG of supermarkets and their dealings with with farmers, where they've come quite unstuck and it's actually got to the point they've, they've like driven some of their supply base out of business. Well, you look at also um, people like Carillion who fell over having done massive deals. Um, but I, I think in a way, yeah, if the whole issue of procurement is probably one for another day because we... <laughs> We, we could talk about that for half an hour without I could feel even, we're gathering steam yeah. <laughs> without even trying so so perhaps it's a good good moment to, to, to pause on this podcast and then um, pick up on procurement at a later date that sounds good David let's do that okay okay